Hey everybody, welcome back to Rhymes with Orange. I'm Evan Budrovich here, and we have a neat conversation today. Joined by the Director of Student Success for the School of Engineering, Martha Bazell. Martha lives in Lillington. She went to school at NC State. She worked in Wilson at a local museum out there and has spent decades in the Carolinas teaching students with their engineering and K through 12 math and science educator background. She's got a neat story too because Martha joined the engineering school in 2019. So right in the middle of this growth with Jenna Carpenter and her staff, and we've seen recently excellent numbers with graduation for engineering, great retention for the program, and honestly with the local community engagement with the STEM projects, and we talk about some of the outreach programs engineering's doing, this is a program on the rise. So Martha, who really molds the students and gives them guidance and leadership and training for job placement and also teaches K through 12 kids in the area. She has a great perspective on the engineering program. So we will dive in to the School of Engineering in this episode with Martha Bazell on the latest Rhymes with Orange. Martha, you're the director of student success yes. here for the engineering program. If I was in an elevator with you and had 30 seconds What's the pitch of what you do on a daily basis? On a daily basis? So I meet with students for advising. I work on um, scheduling a K-12 visits to the school as well as visits to K-12. Like tomorrow, I'm going to go to Fuquay Arena. And um, I work with students who are struggling with academics and balancing um, life and work and, and especially the time management. Prior to coming to Campbell or to a university, they had just gone to class, gone home, not had to do much. And now they're having to juggle all this. And so we work on academic success, coaching, time management, learning how to partner with other students to study together. Um, and then I work with students on their resume. I review resumes. I talk to them about you know, mock interviews that we just had, a series of mock interviews, and, and the feedback that they received and what they gleaned from it. Um, I prep them for career fairs and the, how to be prepared for that career fair. Like, we encourage them to take notes on the different companies that they're interested so they understand the mission. Is this mission and there's this mindset of that company going to line up with their mission and their, their mindset? You note this career training aspect of it. And, and students, when they're in school, right, half the kids don't know what they want to do. Sorry. The other half have the ideal job they want for the next 40 years. And here you sit in a program that's sort of emerged in the last six years for engineering. It has. And every time I talk to Jenna Carpenter, it's, our job placement's amazing. So I know you play a big part in that, too. Yes. Um, so in our job placement, let's talk about this past May. So prior to graduation, we had at least 67% already placed in a job, in an engineering job. They knew where they were going and what they were going to do. Within a few weeks after graduation, we're up to 85%. Within three months, 100% placement. Wow. And good, good companies. We're talking about Dell, Pfizer, Novo Nordisk. We're talking about Navair. We're talking about Fortune 100, 500 companies that, and they're coming back for our, our students. They say, we like your product. You know, maybe I hired one as an intern. Now I want to hire one as a full-time and three as interns. And that's great. It's crazy to think, too, the growth of the engineering program. And I know you came in about three or four years after it started, but in 2015 when the launch really was hitting the ground and in 16 when that first class of students come in, in a six-year span, this program has gone from brand-new engineering to now one of the prolific 
you know, keystone programs on campus, and that speaks to a lot of what you guys are doing. Thank you. It does. It does. And um, one of the things that we just accomplished was receiving our ABET accreditation. And, you know, we had to wait until we graduated a class, and then COVID sort of put the ABET accreditation board on pause for another year, so we just received that. We had our walkthrough last October, and when we received our, our report, we had no defects, no corrective measures, but two, as you would say, stars in our crown, and those were our industry relationship, as evidenced by our students being hired and the industry that's involved with our students beginning with the first year, um, reflecting or uh, reviewing their first year projects to the capstone project, our senior design, um, and on our industry board. Um, I can't remember. You're good. That's why it's a podcast. Yeah, good. Where was I? What was that? We, we were talking about... Uh, the ABET accreditation. Right. Oh, and then, you know, we received our ABET accreditation this August. And um, again, there were, it was as exactly what we were given last October. No corrective measures, and they kept the two stars in our crown, the industry relationship and our innovative, hands-on, project-based program. And for those who aren't familiar with the ABET certification, this is every engineering school in the country needs to to reach this point to, to stand out among others and, and to be basically certified. And that's a huge step for the program. Yes, it is. And we achieved that with um, two strengths. So it's a... And I know in the article, we couldn't highlight those strengths right away, right? There was certain verbiage and how you can put it out. But here in a podcast, we can dive into that a little more. Okay. okay. And, and to have some strengths and for a program that's so young and fledgling, right, to be that strong and robust and right. that's what we are yes give me a sense of the pride that you and jenna and others in the program have felt when you read those reviews and, and you get the performance reviews back that's a, that's why i stay that's a, a sticking reason you know i really enjoy working with our students they are the caliber is um they've got a lot of grit and resilience and perseverance um and they're they're great to work with um they are very helpful to their classmates. It's not a competitive situation where it's, you know, this is my work, I'm not working with you, and I'm not going to help you at all. They're very helpful. I see the upperclassmen see a younger student struggling, and often what I'll do is when I um, advise a younger student who's struggling in their academic, you know, managing their time and their coursework, I'll see a, a similarity with another student who's already been there and done that, I'll connect them, just happened today, it's another part of my job, and I'll step outside and I'll introduce them. I say, I'm gonna send you an e-introduction, and you pick it up from there, and one is a tutor, and one's an academic coach, and they'll they'll meet with them and encourage them along the way. You, you sort of, how you describe that, come off as a chef and a, like a baseball coach, right? You you manage your roster of players. It's true. You evaluate, hey, I have eggs in the fridge here, and the eggs would go well with some cinnamon, and then I add toast in there, and then I cook it at the right time, and I have French toast. Yeah, I'd never thought about it that way, but it is. It's a, it's a, it's really beautiful how it all comes together. I know that sounds corny, but it, it is, and the students are great to work with. What's your favorite part of your job? Probably that, hmm. the students. They're they're very receptive to feedback. Um, they're very they take it and and you know think about it and ponder it and try to implement it. You know, especially if somebody's. Um, struggling in a class and you talk to them about some note-taking strategies they look at you and they think oh I never thought about taking notes or maybe somebody struggles because they're dysgraphic they have the dysgraphia so we work with Laura Rich 
and you know, you know, they work with her to have an accommodation. And Campbell does that really nicely by providing notes to a student who might have such an accommodation. And so it's it's for the whole student. You know, we we support them, we provide them the supports. We have free engineering tutoring. We have the free academic success coaches, um, and they know that we're here for them. I realize this is a podcast, so I may need your help. Sure. The engineering annexes that are located on the north side of campus, when you see the building from the outside, you think, oh, it's a tin can of the sky. But when you walk inside, there's a lot of neat hands-on elements where these students can get right to work right away. Give me, give me a sense of what's inside those buildings. Wow. Well, I want to say, if anybody's listening to this and they've never been, come see me. I will provide a tour because it, seeing is believing. And um, I know we have like over $3 million worth of equipment. Um, I know when I first came, when I actually I toured the ChemOps lab for the first time. So my background is pharmaceuticals, and I worked at Merck Pharmaceuticals. Um, and it was like a mini pharmaceutical plant. Because it's, it's all, and so we use this to train our students. Not that they're going to be operators or way out in chem sub, or they're going to be chemists in the, in the lab testing stability of product, but they're going to be familiar with what the products do and what happens. And maybe there is a stability or shelf life problem. They'll go back and say, well, this could be an evaporator problem. This could be something from the fluid bed dryer. Um, so they're gaining that information so that when they are out there as chemical engineers at a pharmaceutical plant, they're knowledgeable and they can go to the resources that they need. Likewise, from next door to ChemOps, we have a small, um, like a chemical storage area, which actually has our um, scanning electron microscope. Our students in their sophomore year get to use a scanning electron microscope, and that's phenomenal. And to that point, when you talk to students or when I hear reviews from students who graduated, they say the hands-on experience day one at Campbell for the engineering program is head and shoulders above many others in this area. Absolutely, absolutely. I can give you a story. So this one um, young lady was in our first graduating class, and she, um, I took her to a career fair, and she was interviewed, and they selected her and 11 other students to fly up to their headquarters. And unbeknownst to her and the other 11 students, um, this was actually in 2020, oh, wow. May, April, May 2020. So they had been involved in the shutdown of you know the universities, um, and uh, they were given a tour, given lunch, you know, treated well. Then they sat them down in this big boardroom, divided them up into teams, and said, "Okay, here's your case study." And so these people did not know each other. They were from various universities. One Campbell student. And um, our student, I'm so proud of her, she was actually one of my lab attendants when I was working with the Makerspace. Um, she said she looked around, she looked at the case study, she goes, I know how to do this because we've had so many case studies in engineering econ. And she wrangled them together, helped delegate because she said the others looked at her like deer in headlights, like, what do I do with this and who are you? My book says I have to do this, my textbook, but I yes. put my hands on it. Yes, and so they put it together, pulled it together, presented it. They had like five hours and they presented it to management. Needless to say, she and one other student um, were hired. Wow. And she loves her job. She was put into a management position where she worked nine months here, nine months there. And um, yeah, I love to tell that story. So it's very, they're very prepared. Another company, Navair, was interviewing our students. Um, so this was a, this was during COVID and during kind of we had virtual mock interviews, and that's how things are going nowadays. Um, 
So it was good preparation. In between students, the NAVAIR engineer spoke to the NAVAIR HR person and said, I just want to tell you that these students are like machine shop certified. They don't really have certificates. And then they're bona fide engineers. And so you, they're coupled together that they have that understanding so that they know the realistics and the abilities of machinery and, you know, specifications that they, and they're also approachable and they are able to approach, you know, operators and mechanics and machinists and work with them well. And I thought, that's good. And they are. That's how they are. Because of all the machines that we have and the, the certifications where the red badge and the blue badge training that they, our students have to go to, we have training that we require before they build, before they create, because they need to use this equipment and safety is, you know, number one, um, that they're able to um, express that they've used this and that they've been trained in it. And some of them really um, excel in it and work in our fab, um, our camel fab. And um, some actually receive, this past spring, received um, welding certifications, which is good to put on your resume. Not that they're going to go out and be welders, but that they know how it works and what it looks like. That holistic experience, right? Yes. And that's a term that gets thrown around a lot, but it seems here, from what I've heard and what you're saying and what people have talked about, that it's so true with this engineering program. Mm -hmm. It is. You piqued my interest when you said the 3D makerspace room. Yes. We're sitting across the street from it. Yes. Doing this podcast. And, you know, you hear the headlines and everything, but give me a sense as someone who's involved with the students, who, who sees the room on a day-to-day -day basis, what goes into such a neat technology like the, the 3D makerspace? So what goes into how we use it? Or exactly, yeah. Okay, so the students have to use it or are given the option when they, they make their first robot. Um, part of the robot um, scoops a dot from one point A to drags it to point B following tracking a black line. So the scoops could be 3D printed. Many times they are. Sometimes they can use a metal bender or even wood, um, but they often 3D print the scoops. They also 3D print um, an impeller, like a propeller, but an impeller drives the fish tank, which is a dual process. You've seen the fish tank product, which is a dual process where they're controlling the salinity and the temperature of a reservoir for a saltwater fish tank. Um, so they'll also 3D print. And if they want to, they can mill that um, the impeller. Um, so they use it. They also use it for fun. We encourage them to play. In the midst of COVID, we were in session and, you know, masked and all. And um, one of our students actually 3D printed a complete chess set and then used the laser engraver to engrave the, the chess board. Oh, and then, then like yep. And then they had a chess tournament. And um, I have photos of that on my door if you ever want to come see it. Um, it's really cool. So we encourage play. And they're, you know, when you're playing, Einstein says that's the best form of, you know, research and development. I can see the smile on your face, right? And I know this is yeah. a podcast, but that infectious energy, that enthusiasm, it's stuff that people dream of when they go to college. It is. It is. I um, had a weekend tour during COVID, and a, a family was coming down from up north somewhere for a tour, and they were doing a tour of all of East Coast. And my son was visiting me that day, and he's at another engineering um, university because we homeschooled, so he doesn't need to be where I am. Um, and he said, Mom, just tell them that y'all are in person. I've had 18 months behind a screen and a professor who's not reach, you know, not answering my emails. And, you know, our students are in person. Um, our professors worked really diligently to 
you know, create the class sizes where it was accommodating and, you know, um, the lab spaces so that we kept it within safe distancing. And we marched on and explored and continued our hands-on innovative approach to engineering education. You talk about innovative approach. I think Jenna Carpenter's right up there with many in the engineering field. The amount of speaker series she's at, the amount of accolades that she receives, and I know you're a huge part of that too, where it's not just her standing alone, but for two women in a field that less than 75 deans are, are female across the country in the United States, to have two women with influential roles in the program, and that speaks volumes about what you guys are doing. It does, it does. I think, you know, our percentage of women faculty is 67%, and um, that does, it speaks volumes. Uh, it's reflective of um, Dr. Carpenter's mission for women in STEM. Um, you know, a lot of women, when I speak to K-12, a lot of the young ladies um, are set on, I'll, I'll be a nurse, but I'm not going to do an engineer. And I'm like, if you can be a nurse, you can be an engineer. But somehow we have to, and I try to engage this in our K-12 activities to make it fun, but, and you're exploring solving a problem. It seems like women want to solve problems, even young girls. That's their nature. They're nurturing. They're solving a problem that's going to help others. And so we try to create our hands-on activities for our K-12 outreach, where that's igniting that fire to help them realize, wow, I can solve this, this problem and make a wheelchair that's accessible for X, Y, Z and for this purpose. Maybe it's for the beach, because you know, have you ever taken a wheelchair on the beach in that sand? Um, you know, things like that. And that's what we're trying to do, to ignite that fire for future generations to, for women to consider engineering. They actually have more sticking power. Once they step in, they will stick. Well, it's neat, too. I, I saw you in person with all of the engineering students you had on hand, but partnering with CPHS this summer yes. for the high school program, mm -hmm. where you take these sophomores and juniors and seniors and give them hands-on expertise and little hour-and-a-half sessions where various experiments and they're designing, mm -hmm. you know, different, different projects that integrate these programs you teach them in college. That has to be fascinating because you're, these kids are so close to college. They are, are smart enough now where they're trying to figure out what they're interested in and passionate about. And then you and these various engineering students are giving them that hands-on experience that they could take to high school or even to college. We are. We are. And um, my favorite part of that is part of the engineering design process includes this improvement. You know, you, you ask questions, you plan, you create, you test it. And then you go, oh, well, that didn't work, or that worked well, but I'm going to make it better by doing X, Y, Z. And sometimes if you give them that improvement or the redesign process part of that um, cycle, um, it really ignites a you know, passion for learning and um, not of perfectionism, but of excellence. Okay, how, how can I make this better? Or, well, that didn't work. And sometimes you have to work with them. You have to coach them through that, that you can work through this. You've got another chance. And then we do gallery walks, and they pick up ideas from others. We encourage that, um, not necessarily copycatting, but see what. And usually there's a lot of creativity. And um, there, I love to see that aha moment or I did it. Um, and when I see the students who have come to our engineering days end up being first-year students, right. it's exciting. So like this past year, I had a student, and I was meeting with him, and he said, well, you know, I went to your engineering day and your virtual engineering. And I thought, I forgot. Hey, they always remember us, right? There's always that one person who, you know, we're, we're the person they see it when they come to campus, 
and there's let's say 50 kids that show up it's hard to remember one's face so mm-hmm. not hard to remember you though martha oh wow you're energetic and passionate so um i do want to ask you about some of those team oriented activities the kids do during the stem camps yes when i was there for a large part of this one activity you had groups of four or five and they had to design racetracks where cars could circle around yes without 90 degree angles they had x amount of paper x amount of tape you know x amount of equipment and you had your initial test and then they had to come back 15 minutes later and almost you know enhance it or add on to it and mm-hmm. and as you're walking through these groups what are you seeing in these kids eyes what are you learning from them as they're working together and learning how to solve this problem you know i really see that some of these young people are you know coming really gifted with working with others and being empathetic I've really and maybe that's one of the silver linings of COVID too and um, also they're very excited to be working with other people because they hadn't been for a couple of years you know they're in person and they're creating and then as they create um, I've really seen some really cool creations so we try not when we present a problem so for example that was the nanobug racetrack problem when we present a problem we don't show them a picture of what this should look like or could look like because we want them to go outside of the box. We want them to come up with, well, what does this mean to me? Sort of like we do this newspaper chair activity. We don't show them a chair, um, and actually we don't call it a chair. It's a a newspaper uh, device that you can rest on. And um, you should see the devices that they come up with, and it has to support some weight. You know, we give uh, textbooks and see how many textbooks they can stack. And they do a really good job. So we try not to lock it in of giving them this image. And the creativity that comes out, and then after they've built the racetrack and they've got it running and they're competing and they've done a gallery walk, then we give them LEDs and they have to beautify. Because, you know, beautification, aesthetics is very important too. And, you know, LEDs light up, so do they. And um, that's always exciting. Martha, you've worked with kids of all different ages whether it's elementary school, high school, and college kids, what would you say to parents who may go, oh, my kid's not engaged, my kid's not on the tablet the whole time, right? Like, you see these kids who are passionate, energetic, and you help morph and form them into these highly successful students like we've seen with the engineering program. What, what, what's unique about this generation? Because it is a weird time, right, where they grew up with technology their whole lives, but they're not always as purpose-driven as we were, and, you try to craft them into these ready-made college graduates? So one of the, I teach this module. It's a part of our engineering first year program. And the module is called Spatial Skills, Spatial Developmental Skills, SVS, Spatial Visualization Developmental Skills. Um, And the research has shown that students who have played outdoors, so they've seen shadows and lights and depth, um, as well as students who have played with Legos, do really well on spatial visualization. Um, but it's a skill. So if they don't come to college with that skill, we can help them develop it. And we do that through this module, 10-week 10, 10 module, where they're learning how to draw. A few, everybody's drawn the, the cube, you know, the two squares, and then drawing the line, parallel lines to make it an angle. Um, but we help them to draw more in- intricate designs and um, then orthographic drawings and isometric so they can, hey, and I've got a student who graduated two, three, two years ago, and he said, I wish I had this class. 
he was looking at the book. He said, because I do this every time there's a board meeting, I can't just pull out SolidWorks and show something. If we're creating something and we're working together and brainstorming, I need to draw it. And it needs to be something that's visually like I get it and I can see the depth and the corners and the angles. And um, so I tell the students that story. You will use this. And um, so in the spatial visualization skills that we develop, what I would suggest to answer your questions about what, what could you do to help your student? Um, oh, you know, I would encourage them with Legos, play things. I would encourage them to be outside and, and find things that you could, you know, engage with them and challenge them. Um, a lot of times we lose that depth, that spatial visualization, because we are on a tablet or a device. That spatial visualization is lost. The depth is not always accurate. Have you ever seen a cartoon or a video and it's like, that's not drawn, right? Yeah. So, and, and their brain sort of fixes it or omits it. So encouraging them to be outside, um, encouraging them to build things. Hey, maybe y'all can build a table. Maybe, you know, my dad built a, a, a kitchen table with my nine-year-old my, my nine when he was nine. Wow. It was 20-some years ago. <laughs> um, and we still have that table. And actually, we just moved it to his house, so he and his daughter can use it. Um, but build things with them, create with them. Um, even if you're building stories, you know, you're creating stories, daydream, take them outside and watch the stars at night. Um, get outside. Martha, you live in Harnett County and are local to this campus. What's the best part about living near Campbell, right? Because people listening to this podcast, obviously students come here, faculty, staff, mm-hmm. grow up in this area, but you've had the, the you've lived in Raleigh, working in NC State and going to school there. You've been in Wilson, out having some great barbecue. Mm-hmm. You're back down this way. So you've been in a bunch of different spots in the mm-hmm. state. What do you enjoy most about being in this area? In Harnett County? Um, and I also grew up in Winston-Salem in Forsyth County, so the foothills, which I love. The mountains just came from there yesterday. Um, Harnett County, you know, we have Raven Rock. Again, I'm talking getting you outside. Um, I used to teach environmental education in high school for high school students. Um, so I love taking them to state parks. Um, we have great state parks in the area. We have the Cape Fear. It's not that fearful. I mean, just don't go after a hurricane, but take that float. I recommend the kayak. Oh, my gosh, um, yep. Yep. And right off Mermaid's Point right yes, there. Yes, right there, the right there. Um, we always, my husband and I always look over the bridge on the weekends, how many are out there. Um, but, you know, when it's down and, you know, it's very enjoyable and everyone is out there having fun, you can actually loop some of those rafts together or the kayaks. Um, we had a great time, and I would encourage that. So other things about Harnett County, nice for me is that we have a pickleball court up in Anger. Mm. It's 10, 15 minutes you away. Live in Anger? No, I don't. Oh, so so, I live in Anger, so if you, you did, we'd have to come go to Sunny Skies and have ice cream. There we go. Play pickleball. Then you can earn the um, calories for Sunny Skies. Yep. So we actually play pickleball on Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Wow. Um, my neighborhood is this phenomenal combination of people who are ha- starting their families in their 20s to some that are definitely retired and in their 70s. And um, many of us, about 15 of us, will go out to eat dinner every Sunday night. And we've done that for about three years, all through COVID. We'll have barbecues, street, you know, um, barbecues on our street, and we'll gather. Um, 
and we play games, and, and pickleball is one of them. Sometimes we go out to Fuquay. My husband does that. I, I have to come back and go to work. But, and we've played at the gym here, too. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And your story is fascinating, Martha, because when you, when you work at a place for so long, and you, I don't want to say switch professions because you're always teaching and educating younger students, but you go to the college ranks, it's a little different than the high school and the elementary school. And, you know, over your six, five, six years here now, you've helped build this program up to where it is, engineering-wise. What do you hope is the vision for the next let's say, four to five years for Campbell Engineering? Well, I'd love to double our program or or intake of students and onboarding them. I'd love to have a summer bridge program preparing students, especially, you know, what we're seeing them coming out of the pandemic. They had two years of not really being, you know, many of them didn't have to go to class, didn't have to do work. Um, So I'd love to help prepare them for the rigor um, and, and the time management, the pieces that I will meet with, like I met with a young young gentleman today and helped him through organizing his, you know, the work that he has to do. Um, you know, I would love to see, which we will start this summer, we just received a grant working with College of Pharmacy and Health Science and the School of Engineering, we'll have a residential STEM camp. Oh. So, and it could be camps, and this will also entail going to schools and providing some hands-on activities. Of course, we love that. And so this is residential. Um, and that's exciting. Um, there, there's a lot of growth in that, and that also is very attractive. And that's a, a great marketing tool. My children actually sought their careers because of some of the summer activities that they did. I remember going to a bunch of summer camps growing up. It was swim camp. It was you know, basketball camp, it was summer school, it was cooking class, pottery, you know. My dad worked in science museums, we went to air and space camp, we did, you know, safari camp, we were out in the jungles of Los Angeles, digging up for different types of species, so anything to keep kids busy, I'm I'm all for it. That's cool, that's right. Um, So I just envision our program growing, and you know, we'll know, we'll not exceed 500, which is nice to keep it at a small school where the faculty know the students, the students know the faculty, they're accessible, the students know each other. It's not a, it's not, again, it's not a competitive, but it's a collaborative environment. And we really train that. You know, Dr. Carpenter um, and those that first started the school came up with eight core values, and those core values are instilled as the first year projects they're awarded, you know, if they fall into that category of excellence or service or community or resilience, that's, of course, that's my favorite one. Um, and we, we acknowledge them. And then in the junior, the sophomore and the junior years, we acknowledge them again during St. Patrick's Day. He's the patron saint of engineers. Um, you I know, did not know that. I yes, he that. is. He is. Yeah. You'll have to come to our, um, you know, St. Patrick's Day awards. And so it's for sophomores that we will award eight sophomores and eight juniors, and there's, you know, there's support. They're nominated because their classmates and their, the faculty staff view this in them. And so, again, we're bringing it to the forefront of their mind that ethics and community and collaboration, these are important things to be as an engineer. And um, then in the senior year, the capstone project, the senior design, again, you know, they are um, awarded if it fits that category. And... Um, yeah, again, they walk away thinking, I am that type of an engineer, and those are the core values that we want to resonate. Just like when I encourage a student to consider a company, check out their mission statement. That's our mission statement. And we want our students to be purpose-driven. Mm-hmm. We want them to have a purpose. You know, when a student has a purpose, 
he can get up and jump over those hurdles and sometimes you know or go back he knocked the hurdle down go back set it up and do it again you know he can go through that resilience um, and that's what we want them to have a purpose and a, a passion and a drive for our core values do you mind diving into the service aspects of it Sure, sure. Um, so think about things that engineers create for society. Um, right now, it's a, it's a big service to protect our medical information. You know, that's actually involving engineers and the coding or the, the thinking about the, the process flow of where is this information going and who's accessing it and how can they access it, how can it be protected. I mean, that's a big service. I want mine protected. Um, other services is medicine. You know, engineers are actually involved in a lot of them. One of our um, classes is bioprocessing. It's partnering with College of Pharmacy and Health Science, and they actually grow E. coli to keep them alive. And actually, you know, that's how you make medicine is through, you know, um, viruses and, and learning how they replicate and how we can um, create, probably scratch that. I'm not good at talking about that one, but. I'll leave that to the CPHS professors, but I know yes, what you're saying. Yes, yes. Um, um, but so the service, you know, if you build a bridge, like you want it to stay and work and not to That was collapse. my favorite middle school project of all time. You know, we did a uh, bridge, we did um, gumdrop bridges, the Bowie's Creek gumdrop bridge two summers ago. And that was a big hit. And uh, of course that's fun, then you break them. You get to the point where you break them. Um, <laughs> but you know, our students are solving problems for society and that's, that's a service. And you want to have ethics involved that you're not solving it for your company to make money, mm -hmm. but you're solving it for it to be a viable solution that people will buy because it's a good product. Now that you've had at least one, now two graduating classes come back to campus and visit every once in a while. Is it two? Three. three. Wow, that's three. right. Yeah, May. Three. Mm -hmm. I learn something new every day. Mm -hmm. When those three classes of kids come back every once in a while and visit, what are they saying about their Campbell experience? That's really interesting you say that. So this Saturday, if the hurricane doesn't prevent it or help us reschedule it, um, we are meeting with a focus group of about 12 of the students from the first two classes. And we are discussing professional development. Mm -hmm. So that's a big key of this program that's very unique to other programs to me because Dr. Carpenter and Dr. Ratcliffe, our industry liaison um, person, our director of interprofessional education, um, works to groom our students. They, we have resume workshops. We have networking workshops and the importance of it and how to do it, how to work a career fair workshop, how to work a virtual career fair workshop. We'll actually have a dining etiquette workshop wow. and professional, um, professional communications. You know, nowadays everybody's used to texting. Don't make that email look like a text. It's not the same place. Professional. You need to be professional. And what our students are saying, now that they're out in the workforce and they have engineering interns working for them or young people who have just graduated and they're now working for them, they look back at our program and say, thank you mm -hmm. so much, because they see um, maybe a casualness that's lacking professionalism that's coming in. Sure. And our program encourages the professionalism, everything from the dress to the way your resume is reflecting, and, and because you, that's a 90-second glance of a resume. The and in a field of engineering where communication skills aren't necessarily valued as highly as others, being able to stand out in that sense would be gigantic. 
Right, right. And, and communication is part of that. It's a huge part. Really, whatever degree, whatever engineering job you do, 85, 95% of your work is communicating and effectively communicating and getting that across. Um, so we work on that. So that professional development is, is key. And that's what they're telling us, and that's what we have this focus group on, is that they're very thankful for the grooming. You know, they come to us diamonds in the rough, and we, you know, polish them and groom them and provide all this. Um, next week, you'll have to stop by. We have our career fair, okay. our engineering career fair. It's in the student center, uh, student union on the second floor. And we have about 16, 18 companies, top-notch companies, Duke Energy, GE, um, Several others. I didn't talk to Duke about my heating bill this uh -oh. summer. I'm kidding. It's totally fine. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. But, uh -oh. but no, that's important. It is yeah. good for these kids to get that yeah. hands-on. Yeah. So these are, this is actually, these are people who are companies that are coming here to interview and hire them for internships and full-time wow. employment. And um, it's really exciting you know, that our students have that opportunity. This is great news, Martha. This podcast will drop Tuesday of this week. So we'll reference the focus groups. We'll reference the career stuff next week. I'd love to hear what those three graduating classes have to say, at least the first two, right? Because they've sure. been in the world now and had a couple years of experience. So thank you for your expertise. I want to join you. you for pickleball. Okay. I'll get a team of two. You and your husband will, will play. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll play at Carter Jr. But thanks for the perspective today. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye.